For the ones who know safety isn't a catchphrase, it's a culture. And the ones who help make sure everyone makes it home safe. For the safety-minded who watch everyone's backs, Granger offers supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as safety assessments and training to keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions, and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval, and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African-Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy. The views expressed in the following program are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of Saga 960 AM or its management. Seeking truth and justice in a battleground of deception and corruption, this is The Richard Serrett Show. I want all of you to get up out of your chairs. I want you to get up right now and go to the window, open it, and stick your head out and yell, I'm as bad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore! We must not allow ourselves to be intimidated. Our task is not only to win the battle, but to win the war. Feeling we're not in Kansas anymore. Take a look at this country through her eyes if you really want to see something. This is your Matt, prophet of the airwaves. That's right, I'm still here. Survive to fight another week. And welcome to Radio Free Canada, news notes and opinions from the underground for Monday, October the 24th in the year of our Lord 2022. All right, exciting day, big announcement. Last week I warned you, I warned you I'd be making a big announcement today. So here it is, starting tomorrow, Tuesday, October the 25th, I'll be taking calls Live on the air. Finally, finally, you can call in, let me know how you feel about any given topic or ask questions. I'll even invite the haters to call in. Just be very nice to... Jacob, are you going to be screening the calls or will it be Declan? I think it's Declan, right? Yeah. Well, just when you call in, be nice to Declan. He's a very nice young man. You can save your vitriol for me when you get on the air. But I will carve out some time, starting tomorrow, every show, to call in and weigh in with your opinions. I mean, this is absolutely essential for live talk radio. And now we can do it. And now here is the number to call in. 
You might want to write this on a sticky note and put it on your fridge door. Right next to the uh, Hagar, Hagar the Horrible comic strip. Do people still do that? They clip out comic strips and if they think it's particularly funny and they stick it on the fridge door. Like Family Circus. Does your mother do that, Declan? Or your father? No? Do they even have comics in the newspapers anymore? I don't know. Anyway, here are the numbers. 289-275-9600. Again, 289-275-9600. Not today. Don't call now. Starting tomorrow, Tuesday. Incidentally, I'll be doing the show live from Saga 960 AM studio in Etobicoke. 289-275-9600. Again, don't call in today. It starts tomorrow between 4 and 6. Very exciting. Aren't you excited, Declan? Yes, he is. All right. The uh, United Kingdom has a new prime minister. Their fifth prime minister in five years. Let me. Is that right? Let me see. Uh, so we have the new prime minister, Rishi Sunak. He just won the conservative leadership race. Liz Truss, who lasted 44 days. That's two. Boris Johnson, that's three. Uh, what was the one? Uh, May. What was her name? May. Somebody May. Elizabeth May. And that's four. And David Cameron. That makes five. Five prime ministers since 2016. So five prime ministers in six years. There we go. Rishi is Great Britain's youngest prime minister in 200 years. The first prime minister of Indian descent. His parents emigrated from East Africa. They're, they were... Um, of Indian descent. They were, they lived in East Africa. They emigrated to Great Britain in the 1960s. And Rishi received his MBA from Stanford University in the U.S. And there he met and married Akshata Murthy. She is the daughter of Narayana Murthy, founder of the Indian multinational IT company called Infosys. And the new prime minister's lovely bride holds a 93% stake in Infosys. This makes her one of the, the, the richest women in Great Britain, which makes the Rishis one of the richest couples, and they are reportedly worth more than the royal family. Nothing wrong with that. I'm just saying, I thought that was an interesting fun fact. But let's see if new prime minister Rishi Sunak can... Um, Reverse the Conservative Party's downward trend. They are polling behind even the SNP. That's the Scottish National Party, meaning they'd finish as the third party in the British House of Commons if an election were held today. As of Friday of last week, there is a nationwide freeze on the sale, purchase and transfer of handguns, which will will do precisely zero. Precisely zero to reduce Violent gun crime in Canada. Not a surprise. This is what the left does. They virtue signal and they solve nothing. They don't solve problems. They cause problems and then they virtue signal. You can't virtue signal your way out of this. Thankfully, legal gun owners in this country, they knew this ban was coming for the last several months. So leading up to Friday's official announcement, when the ban of, uh, gun ban went into effect, licensed handgunner gun owners in Canada went out and bought as many handguns as they could get their hands on. 
So actually, there are many, many more legal handguns in the country today as a result of this new ban. Illegal handguns, of course, will continue to flood into the country where they'll be used by gangbangers and drug dealers because criminals could care less about gun bans. So hopefully when the conservatives sweep to power in the next few months, that ban will be done away with. Now, I don't own a gun, but I believe every law-abiding Canadian of sound mind should have the right to own a gun. I think young people should be taught how to handle and fire a weapon. I think Canadians should have the right to use a gun in self-defense to shoot an intruder, to protect their families and their property. I think there should be one person placed in every school who is trained in the use of a firearm and that 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 person should be allowed to carry the sidearm. But of course, we gave this important right, uh, right away years ago, ages ago, and quite frankly, I don't see us getting it back. I don't see us getting guns back into the hands of law-abiding citizens ever again. Once you lose a right, it's, it's very difficult to get it back. Gun-free zones. In the United States, for example, this is how well gun control works, all right? Gun-free zones in the United States are a mass murderer's best friend. They look for gun-free zones. They target gun-free zones, like schools, which is a very simple fix. We should guard our children with guns, the way we guard the banks with guns. Children are far more valuable than money, in my estimation. And I know some of you are squeamish about guns. Fine, be squeamish. You don't need to handle a gun. But guns save lives. Is I acknowledge, in the wrong hands... Guns also end innocent life, but so do cars, knives, shovels, rakes, tire tire irons, heavy ashtrays. I could go on. Horrible law that just went into effect. Uh, An interesting piece in the Epoch Times by Dr. Geert Vandenbosch, who has a PhD in virology. The article is titled, Unvaccinated Children Are Our Only Hope in Generating Herd Immunity. Okay, this is a vaccine expert. For nearly two years, vaccine expert and virologist Geert Vandenbosch has been on a mission to raise awareness of why healthy children should not receive COVID-19 vaccines. Vandenbosch, who has has 30 years of experience in the vaccine industry, claims that it is primarily the unvaccinated children and adults who can generate herd immunity. He says the children are our only hope to generate herd herd immunity. Vandenbosch told the Epoch Times, herd immunity means thanks to their natural immunity, they can kill the virus. They can sterilize the virus. Right? Vaccines are supposed to be immunizing. The COVID vaccine clearly is not. It's only herd immunity that will be able at the population level to dramatically reduce infectious pressure and to tame the pandemic so that it can transition into an endemic phase, he added. Since the vaccine cannot do this. On the contrary, the vaccines lead to the breeding of more and more infectious variants, which is enhancing the infectious pressure in the population. Herd immunity is defined as when a percentage of the population becomes immune to a disease, either through a previous infection or vaccination, which acts to stop or slow down the spread. Yet, 
Vaccines have never significantly contributed to ending influenza pandemics in the past. The virus in each pandemic had largely run its course and became endemic. In 1918, Spanish flu pandemic caused by the H1N1 virus began in March of 1918, ended in the summer of 1919 without the use of any vaccine. The 1957 Asian flu pandemic ended in 1958 with limited use of the flu vaccine. And in both the 1968 H3N2 and 2009 H1N1 pandemic, the pandemic had already reached its peak by the time the vaccines were ready. So demand for vaccines declined. There you go. Still thinking about the COVID jab for your otherwise healthy children? Something to think about. Coming up on today's program, Alberta Premier Danielle Smith recently apologized for Alberta's treatment of an unvaccinated people. She's promised to amend the Alberta Human Rights Code to criminalize discriminating against anyone based on their COVID vaccine status. I tell you, she's starting to impress me. Arthur C. Green from the Western Standard will be here to discuss in the second hour. This hour, the survivalist Stefan Verstappen will be here to talk about one of the prime ingredients to creating mass psychosis in society is fear. The government and the media are major fear mongers, as we know. So to survive what's coming, Stefan says we need to learn how to control our fear. The Canadian Taxpayers Federation is calling on Queen's Park to reject Toronto Mayor John Tory's proposal to place a toll on the Gardner and Don Valley Parkway. Uh, But first, again, as of Friday, the national handgun freeze is in effect. Tracy Wilson, VP of Public Relations and Club Outreach with the Canadian Coalition for Firearm Rights, joins me. The Richard Serrett Show, off and running for Monday, October 24th. Facta non verba. We're back as The Richard Serrett Show continues on News Talk, Saga 960 AM. All right, as I mentioned, the uh, handgun freeze went into effect on Friday. We knew about this. They uh, made the announcement back in May. Uh, however, the official announcement came on Friday Eight hours after it went into effect, secretly, they gave retailers, gun retailers, zero advance warning. Here with more, Tracy Wilson, VP of Public Relations and Club Outreach with the Canadian Coalition for Firearm Rights. Hey, Tracy, how are you? Hey, Richard, I'm doing good. Thanks. Uh, it's great to see you again, actually. Likewise, likewise. Mm-hmm. So weren't the, uh, the, uh, the gun sellers promised that they would be told just before this was to go into effect so that they could you know, make proper planning and arrangements. Yeah, of course. And this is the problem with announcing to the country a regulation that's already been in place for eight hours is you've got stores that were open before the announcement was made that are conducting sales that, of course, uh, are now illegal and will have to be reverted. So the political timing of this announcement is what's really interesting, though, Um, As you know, on Friday, it was sort of the end of a week of scandals. You've got the Emergencies Act inquiry going on. You've got Bill Blair and RCMP Commissioner Brenda Lucky tangled up in this, you know, freshly surfaced recording about political interference into the mass casualty investigation. And then you've got Marco Mendicino caught falsifying documents to the federal court. So the media was sort of all over these stories And of course, what does this government consistently do when they need a channel changer? They break the glass on gun control. So, yeah, I mean, 
Again, it's just another failed liberal policy. It only affects legal licensed um, gun owners who own registered handguns that they can only use at RCMP approved ranges. And what do they do during the uh, announcement, which again happened eight hours after the gun freeze went into effect? What do they cite as an example? The shooting on the Danforth, right. which does not fit the narrative at all. It was illegal, an illegal gun owner, uh, you know, with illegal guns. What does that have to do with this gun freeze? Yeah, well, exactly. The um, the guy who committed the shooting on the Danforth, of course, he got that brother, uh, that gun through his brother, who was connected to, you know, gang affiliated. In fact, his brother was arrested with enough carfentanil to kill the entire country. So this was a stolen illegal gun. It has absolutely nothing to do with this handgun freeze, nor would the freeze have, have affected it. And then Justin Trudeau trotted out uh, the, the mother of a victim of violence as well in the Vancouver, because of course there was three different press conferences all coordinated to go out on this. And that, unfortunately, that mother's son was part of the Surrey Six gang shooting. So again, another crime committed by gang members with illegal smuggled guns. So I don't know. It's it, they're you know <laughs> telling you it's raining and, and peeing down your back at the same time. So I, I don't know. <laughs> yes. Well put. Well, just more virtue signaling that and they, they the left. This is what they excel at: is virtue signaling, uh, empty gestures that do nothing. Uh, they create problems. They never solve them. Uh, thankfully, you know, hopefully and thankfully, we have an election just around the corner. And uh, I'm I'm hopeful that um, the the next regime, Pierre Polyev and the conservatives will do away with this gun freeze. If you heard anything um, on the, you know, uh, from the conservative camp on how they feel about this gun freeze? Well, they absolutely don't support it, of course. Once again, it's measures, focus and resources that are targeted on the very people not committing the violence. So the Conservative Party's been pretty, um, pretty steadfast in their efforts to reduce actual crime, violence and gun smuggling, which I think all Canadians can agree that that's where the focus should be. So, I mean, here's the thing. Once again, this government sort of snuck this in in the darkness of night with an OIC, no debate in the House of Commons, you know, democracy be damned, circumvent the whole process. So, of course, everything done can be undone. And if that's the way they want to uh to enact laws, then that is the exact tool that can be used to deconstruct it as well. A little solace for the gun owners. I'm, I'm not sure they're you know going to sign a uh, another long term lease in hopes that the conservatives will be swept to power and that they'll uh, you know undo this. So they'll be closing their shops at least temporarily. Uh, however, we'll uh, we'll hope for the best. Uh, thanks so much for your time as always, Tracy. Thanks, Richard. Tracy Wilson, VP of Public Relations and Club Outreach with the Canadian Coalition for Firearm Rights. Firearmrights.ca. Check it out. Firearmrights.ca. All right. When we come back, Jay Goldberg from the Canadian Taxpayers Federation uh, on John Tory, Mayor John Tory's ridiculous proposal to slap a toll on the Gardner Expressway and the DVP. That story next. Stay with us. Let's get back at it on Newstalk Saga 960 AM. It's the Richard Serrett Show. All right, welcome back. Well, another harebrained idea from North America's most ridiculous mayor, John Tory, and his silly council. Well, I guess this is Tory's proposal as we head into today's municipal election. And that is, uh, he keeps floating this idea. I think uh, he first floated it back in, in 2016 or maybe even earlier. 
and that is to slap a toll on people using the Don Valley Parkway and the Gardner Expressway. This will have to be approved by Queen's Park. He tried it before, and perhaps the only correct decision Kathleen Wynne ever made while Premier was to nix that idea. Let's hope that uh, Doug Ford continues his best impression of Kathleen Wynne and likewise nixes this latest proposal. Here with more, Jay Goldberg, Ontario Director at the Canadian Taxpayers Federation. Hey, Jay, how are you? Doing well. Great to be with you. What is he thinking? Uh, I mean, the the middle class, the working class are being crushed right now with inflation, high fuel costs, uh, increases in taxes, and he wants to slap on yet another tax, essentially. Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions, and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval, and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African-Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy. That's right. And he's already raising property taxes immensely for people in the city of Toronto. Uh, He's announced a property tax raise of 2.9%, but that doesn't include his extra property tax, which is 1.5%, which he's claiming is going to be used exclusively for transit and building new infrastructure. The bottom line is property taxes are going up more than 4% this year. And as if the mayor does not have enough revenue to play with, And Toronto is the only city in Ontario that levies its own land transfer tax, which gets the city a billion dollars a year out of your pockets. So on top of all of that, he wants to start charging you to drive on the Gardner, to drive on the Don Valley Expressway, which you paid for in your taxes when they were built. So it's a terrible idea. And this is going to hurt people who just have to get to work, who have to get their kids to school. This is not a luxury. Driving is not a luxury in the vast majority of Ontario. And the downtown elites need to figure that out. Well, uh, yeah, he hates cars. He hates people driving their own um, private, privately owned automobiles. Uh, I mean, just look at downtown Toronto with and and what he has done to the uh, to King Street, for example. He's making it impossible uh, to get anywhere in the downtown core. Uh, this is only also, it, it's just going to add to congest- congestion. Can you imagine people having to stop uh, for, for a, uh, to pay the toll uh, along the DVP, which is, you know, a mess at the best of times, likewise the Gardner Expressway? This is just going to enhance congestion. I guess that's what he wants. It may be what he wants, but it's going to enhance congestion. And then as we've seen with Highway 407, if you have somewhere that is told, there will be those people who choose not to take that route. 
So instead of going on the DVP or on the Gardner, you could end up with more drivers on city roads that are already incredibly packed and that we can't have more traffic there to begin with. So he would actually be making gridlock worse. Yes, number one, you're right by saying that people will have to stop and pay a toll. But the other thing is those people who don't want to pay the toll and are going to take city roads, which will take extra time and use more gas with more emissions into the air, those people will be clogging up even further the streets of Toronto. It's a terrible idea. And I have to say, if the provincial government were to say yes to this, every other municipality in the GTA better watch out because your mayor is going to want the, all this extra revenue that's on the table. And we could be looking at this all throughout the GTA, not just Toronto. Any clues based on past performance as to whether uh, Premier Ford will will OK this? Because uh, John Tory needs basically permission from Queen's Park to do it. Well, John Tory needs permission from Queen's Park. He's hoping that a victory in tonight's election will strengthen his hand in doing that. But, you know, the Ford government hasn't gotten all that much right. But one thing they have gotten right, they've gotten rid of tolls on Highway 412 and 418 in the Durham region. They did that right before the last election. So Doug Ford actually has a record of getting rid of tolls. I think this is something that Doug Ford is going to want to reject out of hand. But again, Mayor Tory, if he wins re-election tonight, is hoping to use a, a strong hand to come to Ford and say, we absolutely need this money. But Ford has to shut the door. He got rid of tolls in Durham region. There's no reason why he shouldn't side with his predecessor, Kathleen Wynne, and say no to this horrible idea of tolls. All right, Jay. Well, we'll find out soon enough, I guess. Jay Goldberg, Ontario Director at the Canadian Taxpayers Federation, taxpayer.com, taxpayer.com. Jay, thank you. Thank you. All right. When we come back, The Survivalist. Stay with us. You're listening to The Richard Serrett Show on Newstalk Saga, 960 AM. The Survivalist on The Richard Serrett Show. think of this segment as a little bit of community service, providing a platform for an emergency preparedness expert who will help prepare you for when the lights go out long term. And all indications are that day is coming at some point. Not sure when. It's not for us to know the hour. Just be prepared. Kevin or Stefan, <laughs> Kevin, <laughs> Stefan versus I wasn't prepared. Stefan for stopping is our emergency preparedness expert and the author of The Art of Urban Survival. Stefan, so, but as some of his closer friends call him Kevin, how are you, Stefan? I'm, I'm okay, Peter. <laughs> uh, you know, I was, I've, I've got to mention this a couple of weeks ago, just a quick aside, because I know we're going to talk about something else here. Uh, but on Tuesdays, we talk about homeschooling and Ruth Gaskowski was on the program. Uh, she's our homeschool advisor. Oh, good. And she came on to talk about how a, a, um, a friend or someone in their homeschooling group, because they kind of do like a co-op, yep. uh, had hit, uh, struck a deer and uh, the deer was on the side of the road. It was killed instantly, so there was no suffering involved. But um, uh, they were able to transport the carcass to um, 
uh, a location. And so it became a learning, a wonderful learning opportunity for all of the homeschool students in this group. And they and uh, they brought in someone who, you know, knows how to properly, uh, I guess, gut and and butcher field dress. Yes, field dress a deer. So and all the kids took turns, you know, and, and they got kind of a biology or an anatomy lesson all at once. Plus, they they all divvied up the meat. And even one of the students decided that she was going to take her hand at uh, uh, tanning the hide. So I just thought that was an, a wonderful, a wonderful lesson. And uh, I thought you'd enjoy that. Yeah, I enjoy that. It's a good thing she didn't hit, hit, hit a person. But um, oh, indeed, indeed. <laughs> but uh, I wasn't aware that um, in in Ontario, uh, you can as long as the you know obviously you have to take care that the animal wasn't you know lying on the side of the road for an extended period of time. As long as it's only been there an hour, you it's safe to eat. Sure. And, um, um, yeah, that's good. That's that's uh, just I think just brilliant on their part. Yeah, anyway, very how, was good. Your, how was your weekend? Very quickly. It was good. I did something I haven't done in 40 years. And I know what you're thinking. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I haven't gone back to carrying out political assassinations using my bare hands. I'm still using the frozen heart attack dart gun. <laughs> what are you on about, sir? I don't know. Uh, what I've done for the first time in 45 years is I voted. You voted? Yeah, wow. yeah, because uh, we're fielding one of our own candidates, our community for town council, and I uh, put together a nice video, uh, a campaign video for her. And uh, so I went and I registered because I haven't voted in 48 years, something like that. So I registered and I voted on the spot. But, you know, I don't believe in voting because I, I believe my, my voice has no nothing to do with provincial or federal politics, but local politics. Okay. Your local town council, we got to get our people in there. All right. Because um, you, you don't want tranny story time in your local schools. Well, didn't vote for your people to get in on, on the board of education. Uh, school uh, trustees. That's school I've been saying that for, for weeks and weeks and months really is, is uh, that's where it all starts. We have to, we have to vote for our school trustees. Nobody thinks about it. The voter turnout is horrible. Yeah. Uh, even at the federal and provincial, but it's a, absolutely abysmal. I think uh, Sue Ann Levy from True North was telling me it's around 30% uh, for school okay. trustees. So that's just unconscionable. We have to do better. And uh, if we don't vote, then we can't complain. And we and uh, it all starts, you're right. It's all about the local. All right. So when we come back, we're going to talk about fear, how to overcome fear and control our fear. Stefan Verstappen, emergency preparedness expert, author of The Art of Urban Survival, chinastrategies.com, and formingcommunities.com. Back with that conversation in three minutes. Back to the conversation on The Richard Serrett Show. News Talk, Saga, 960 AM. All right, welcome back to The Survivalist. Stefan Verstappen is our emergency preparedness expert and the author of The Art of Urban Survival. You want to talk about fear, Stefan. Let's get right to it. Fear, what do you mean? Yes, we only have 10 minutes and it's a very complicated subject. But what I mean to say is that as we go through the next couple of years and even the last two years, we are dealing with fear. You see it on the media and the government announcements. It's constant fear porn. And now we're hearing talk about you know, food shortages and energy shortages and God knows World War Three and nuclear attacks. Look, all of this is done on purpose. They want you to be afraid. 
Okay, the government, the people that control the world want you all to be afraid. And the reason they want you to be afraid is because fear is one of four components of what we call mass psychosis. So then for the listeners that don't know, mass psychosis, psychosis is a uh, psychological term that means a complete disconnect with reality. Uh, So really, people can't perceive what reality is when they are psychotic. And we often say, you know, me and my friends and people I talk to is, boy, the world is going crazy. Well, you know what? The world is going crazy. It's not your imagination. It's not a metaphor. Most people are absolutely insane. <laughs> yeah, thankfully, now we can identify them. They're the ones driving alone in their car wearing a mask. Exactly. Exactly. And it's done on purpose. There are four components to instituting mass psychosis. Number one is a lack of connection with community. Here we go again. You know, we've talked about this, um, Richard, from the very beginning, the need to have a community, the need to reconnect with your family and friends. And with the lockdowns that we had, everybody was isolated and alone and you couldn't go out. You can do this. <coughs> Excuse me. The reason for that is to isolate you because Being isolated and disconnected from your community is one of the components to mass psychosis. Now, the other thing is people are uh, the second component of mass uh, uh, psychosis is a lack of sense making. In other words, things don't make sense. For example, look at what's going on just recently with the uh, uh, the transsexual movement and nobody can define what a woman is and men can have babies. Look, none of this makes sense. You and I know that it makes absolute no sense whatsoever. One hundred and eighty different genders. Well, why are they doing that? Are they doing that because they care about transsexuals? No, of course not. It's to create as much madness make sure there are so many things going on that make no sense. And then this creates free-floating anxiety, and then free-floating anxiety turns into fear. And once you're in mass psychosis, you are easier to manipulate. This is what happens at the beginning of every major war. This is what happened in Germany just before World War II. This is what happened, you know, in France uh, just before World War One. They the government gets everybody so confused and then isolated and then anxious and nervous that they go into a mass psychosis. Now, what happens during a mass psychosis is that people will tend to follow a leader that offers a solution. So we're going to go into a Great Depression. Well, who's going to save us? Well, Trump's going to save us or Biden's going to save us or Kamala Harris is going to save us. Doesn't matter who. They'll put somebody up there and say, oh, they're going to save you. And people will follow them unthinkingly and blindly follow leaders put in front of them once everybody's in a state of mass psychosis. Yeah, in many cases, the, as you say, you know, they created the psychosis. So it's the what they call the Hegelian dialectic. You create the disease in order to offer the cure. Exactly. It, it's a it's a play on the Hegelian dialectic. So the government makes you nervous. They tell you everything that's going wrong. World War Three, nuclear weapons, uh, mass pandemics. Oh, my God. Run, hide. But we can save you. Vote for us. You know, come on. Uh, and that's what they've been doing for the last two years. This whole past two years of this pandemic has been just a giant exercise in mass 
uh, psychosis. And you know what? You can't even talk about it. I'm probably going to get a strike on YouTube for bringing up the topic of mass psychosis. Because I got a, I spoke about it uh, in an interview about a year ago, and I got a strike. Okay, so how about, do, huh? Oh, we're just about out of time. So how do we control it? Okay, three things. Number one, breathing. You need to uh, to learn breath control. When you're feeling anxious, three quick breaths. Breathe in for three seconds. Hold it for one second. Breathe out for three seconds. Then on the fourth breath, breathe in for five seconds. Hold it for three seconds and breathe out. Because what happens when you get anxious, it triggers the fight and, uh, fight and flight response in the autonomous nervous system. And so your your body's endocrine system, its nervous system takes over and it clouds your thinking and it, it, it interferes with your ability to react to, you know, real threats because your 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 breathing is off and your your body is in a fight and flight mode. So first of all, breathing exercises. Second of all, start moving. If you get scared of something, if you're afraid, start to move, go for a walk, go to the gym, work out, bicycle, do something that requires physical activity. Because if you're physically active, this tends to burn off the excess nervous energy that if you didn't burn it off, would just kind of percolate inside you and, you know, give you ulcers. So you want to dissipate that excess energy by doing something physical, movement. And then the third thing is you need to connect with people. That's why we need friends. We need family. If you're, you know, sitting at home alone and you're watching TV and all you see is this, you know, fear porn on the media and you're all by yourself and you're just sitting there doing nothing. Yeah, you're going to start to feel anxious and nervous and this will trigger a psychosis. So to avoid that, breathing, movement and be around friends. Okay, I've got a fourth one. And that is turn off all media except for Saga 960 and listen to this program, The Richard Serrett Show, 4 to 6. Get rid of social media. I agree. I agree. It, it's it's deadly. You know, uh, stay away from social media, stay away from TV and stay away from all the YouTube channels that constantly market fear porn. You know who I'm talking about. There's there's a few survivalist channels out there and every single episode is, oh, this is the end. We're doomed. We're doomed. You know, okay. wait a minute. Don't we do that? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, we don't because we provide solutions. There you go. That's true. We do provide solutions. That's what it's all about. Uh, if you're going to identify the problem, unless you've got a solution, what's the point? Stefan, great job as always. We'll speak with you next week. Have a great rest of the week. You too, Peter. Take care. Ay, yikes. There. <laughs> Stefan Verstappen, emergency preparedness expert, author of The Art of Urban Survival, Chinastrategies.com, Chinastrategies.com, and FormingCommunities.com. All right. Don't go anywhere. Still another hour of uh, the Richard Serrett Show coming your way, including uh, Alberta Premier Danielle Smith apologizing for the treatment of the unvaccinated in her province. She's really starting to impress me. And she also just announced she's amending the Alberta Human Rights Code to prevent the future discrimination of those unvaccinated against COVID. We'll speak with Arthur C. Green from the uh, Western Standard. And also a, um, a bit of a situation with the Catholic School Board in Waterloo. One of the, uh, the, the candidates running for trustee will be along to tell us what happened. That's Marissa Phillips, again, running for the Catholic School Board in Waterloo Region. All right, don't go anywhere. 
Hour 2 awaits. Stay with us. The views expressed in the following program are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of Saga 960 AM or its management. Seeking truth and justice in a battleground of deception and corruption, this is The Richard Serrett Show. I want all of you to get up out of your chairs. I want you to get up right now and go to the window, open it, and stick your head out and yell, I'm as bad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore! We must not allow ourselves to be intimidated. Our task is not only to win the battle, but to win the war. Repeating, we're not in Kansas anymore. Take a look at this country through her eyes if you really want to see something. You'll see the whole parade of what man's carved out for himself after centuries of fighting. You're out of order! You're out of order! The whole trial is out of order! You have meddled with the primal forces of nature! And you Hey there, welcome to Hour 2, and if you missed Hour 1, you missed a lot, but don't despair, still plenty of great programming coming your way. Uh, And in case you missed Hour 1 and you missed the uh, announcement, starting tomorrow, that's Tuesday, October the 25th, and I say that for the benefit of the people that uh, listen to the show in delay, maybe on the podcast, but starting tomorrow, we are going to be taking calls on the air. So you can weigh in with your opinions and uh, your vitriol if you're so inclined. But please, be nice to uh, Declan, who will be manning the phones. Uh, But uh, the haters are welcome. All welcome. And uh, just write these numbers down. Stick them on your fridge door next to the... uh, Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions, and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval, and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African-Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy. Family Circus comic strip that you clipped out because it was so funny. Has has anyone ever clipped out a family circus cartoon? (laughs) Anyway, the numbers are 289-275-9600. 289-275-9600. And that starts tomorrow. You can call in during the program. All right. Some uh, problems with the uh, election, municipal election, of course, happening today. Down in Waterloo region, particularly the Catholic Uh, school board trustees, some of them were left off the ballot. Can you imagine? These people, they had one job and uh, they left off uh, off some of the candidates off the ballot. And so basically they're going to have to to suspend the Catholic school board uh, trustee election. 
And the problem is that uh, there were some candidates that uh, that were already, uh, you know, people were already voting for them. So those votes that they received are now null and void, and they'll have to do it over. So one of the candidates, Marissa Phillips, is uh, running for school trustee down there. She's not none too happy, understandably so, and she'll be here uh, to discuss that a little bit later. All right. It seems when it comes to newly minted Alberta Premier Daniel Smith, it's it's all about the uh, the apology. Uh, first of all, she said that the uh, the unvaccinated were among the most you know discriminated against group that in her lifetime, which I think is entirely justifiable. Um, and then she kind of she didn't she refused to apologize for that, and I'm I'm happy that about that. She did kind of clarify it, which you know to the left is kind of like an apology. And once you smell once they smell blood, they just keep going after you. You got to tell them right from the get go, pound sand, not apologizing. However, uh, then she um, she talked about Ukraine and how Ukraine should basically let's put Canada first. Ukraine should declare their neutrality and let's get the peace talks going. And Rachel Notley demanded another apology, and um, she apologized. I mean, she should have stood stood firm on that one as well. That's a, an entirely justifiable position. Ukraine should declare neutrality. We never would have been in this mess, nor would they have in the first place if NATO had not pushed them, uh, you know, pushed them and pushed them and pushed them and continued to poke the bear. Then she uh, she did. She apologized to the unvaccinated. I think this was at a press conference and someone asked, you know, do you owe the uh, owe, do, does Alberta owe the unvaccinated an apology? And she said, yes. Good answer. Good answer. Now she's talking about amending the human rights code in Alberta to prevent the unvaccinated for COVID from being discriminated against. I'm sure Rachel Notley will demand an apology for that as well. Arthur C. Green is a reporter with the Western Standard covering the Alberta legislature, and he joins us now. Hey, Arthur, how are you? Uh, Not too bad. Uh, Loving the snow out here in Alberta. You have snow already? Uh, Not really a whole lot, but it started to snow uh, earlier today as the uh, Smith cabinet was being sworn in. That's right. The Smith. Yes. We'll talk a little bit about that. And also we should say congratulations, the Western Standard celebrating your third anniversary. Uh, Yeah, I was going to mention that Uh, today is our third anniversary. Uh, You know, we've grown uh, quite a quite a bit in the last three years. And, uh, you know, I look forward to us uh, becoming the national news in in Canada someday. It's uh, Western Standard dot news for anyone who doesn't follow us. That's right. Support independent media. They're all we ha- have in this country. Uh, WesternStandard.news. WesternStandard.news. Okay, uh, let's talk briefly about the um, uh, the new cabinet out in Alberta. Any any surprises, highlights, lowlights? Your uh, your your overall thoughts about our new cabinet? Um, as a as a political reporter, I like to not state my opinion because uh, I don't want to make myself biased. So I don't really have any thoughts on the cabinet itself. However, uh, you know, we we saw that, you know, the same people, not all of them, uh, from Jason Kenney's cabinet, uh, you know, um, have been sworn in. Um, You know, they're they're plugging away. She uh, she named a total of uh, 24 UCP MLAs to the cabinet. Uh, Travis Tays kept his job as finance minister. you know, and he he we managed to bring in the first balanced balanced budget in uh, in ten years. 
Uh, Brian Jean, uh, he he's actually a change. He uh, he was named Minister of Jobs, Economy, and Northern Development. Uh, Todd Lowen, a uh, a hunting outfitter, uh, got the job of Minister of Forestry, Parks, and Tourism. Uh, you know, we saw Airgy MLA Peter Guthrie is in as the new uh, Minister of Energy. Uh, we had UCP leadership challenger Rebecca Schultz uh, replace Rick McCliver as Minister of Municipal Affairs. Uh, we had leadership challenger uh, Ray John Swanee. Uh, she became the Minister of Trade, Immigration, and Multiculturalism. Uh, leadership challenger Leela Ahir was not named uh, to the cabinet. Uh, we also saw Devin uh, Desheen return to the cabinet as Minister of Transportation and Economic Corridors. And uh, even though Jason Nixon was left out of the cabinet, uh, his brother Jeremy Nixon has become the Minister of Seniors, Community and Social Supports. And uh, we also saw Smith, you know, uh, name two deputy premiers, uh, one of them being uh, Leftbridge East, East MLA uh, Nathan Nerdoff. He was named uh, deputy premier and minister of infrastructure. And we also saw a new position of public safety, which goes to uh, former Calgary police officer, uh, Mike Ellis. Uh, 24. Uh, how does that uh, rank in terms of, you know, other cabinets? Is that, is that a small, is that considered to be a small uh, cabinet or is it Typical. Um, again, I wouldn't like to, to state because what I say is small and what one person says is small could be big to someone else. But, uh, you know, um, the NDP did say that, you know, it, it was a large cabinet, um, but, you know, they do have a lot of work to do. So we'll, we'll see what happens. Right. And um, in terms of the polls right now, uh, the last polls I saw, well, there were two polls. One had uh, the NDP and the UCP basically neck and neck. I think it was 42-44, which is within the margin of error. And um, th- there was another one that showed uh, the UCP kind of trailing by, you know, a rather substantial, I think, you know, over five points. What are you hearing right now in terms of um- I, I haven't really looked at the polls lately. Uh, I, I've been more focused on covering the uh, this weekend past they held their AGM uh, conservative um, annual general meeting. And uh, I, I haven't really looked into the polls. Uh, I know that uh, uh, left wing government paid media has uh, has published some polls themselves. Uh, you know, you have to be careful. When, when looking at polls online, because, uh, you know, it, it's sometimes, uh, as we say in Newfoundland, it's hard to get the truth out of, uh, out of uh, these these polls because you don't really know how they've been conducted. Um, now, I did report earlier on a Main Street poll that the uh, was exclusive to the Western Standard. Uh, polls cost a lot of money. So, uh, you know, as our as our membership picks up, which uh, we're gaining members every day at the Western Standard, uh, you know, people people really want to read the truth. And that's why they come to our website. Um, I guess my boss would be uh, would be getting more polls in the future. And, and then I would report on those uh, rather than relying on, you know, left wing government paid media polls. I, I don't believe in reporting on those. 
There you go. Arthur C. Green is a reporter with the Western Standard covering the Alberta legislature. Uh, I'll just throw this out now and then we'll, we'll take a, a break, come back and discuss it further. But uh, uh, Premier Smith announcing uh, that changes are coming to the Alberta Human Rights Code. And um, she wants to put some protection in there for those uh, that are not vaccinated against COVID. Um, any thoughts? Um, I wouldn't say that, uh, you know, she's she's going to put it in legislation right away. She said she's seeking legal legal advice on uh, on pardoning uh, anyone who was charged uh, under the COVID pandemic act for breaking restrictions. And, uh, you know, um, mainstream media were quick to nail her on those comments over the weekend uh, because, you know, they, they quickly said, well, the premier doesn't have pardon powers. And so that's why, Smith quickly clarified that on Saturday that uh, she'll be seeking legal advice uh, on the matter. All right. We'll take a time out, come back more of my conversation with Arthur Green from the Western Standard, westernstandard.news. Back with more in a moment. Stay with us. Welcome back to the Richard Serrett Show on News Talk, Saga 960 AM. So one of the things that will be coming through within the fall as well is a change to the Human Rights Code to make it in, um, illegal to discriminate against anyone on the basis of their COVID vaccination status. Now, I'm recognized that there are still some organizations and some businesses in Alberta that is doing that. And I just want to sort of give you fair warning that we are going to be making a, a serious pivot in that regard. And I would just ask if you would work with us to align your policies with the direction that we want to go in Alberta. Because because we want to send the message to the community and to the world community and to the investment markets that this is a place that is open for business, that this is a place that believes in freedom. This is a place that believes in free enterprise. And this is a place where we're not going to be making arbitrary decisions that are going to disproportionately impact the small and medium businesses in this province. There you go. Alberta Premier Danielle Smith uh, doing her best uh, job at channeling Florida Governor Ron DeSantis and uh, talking about uh, the unvaccinated, protecting their rights and uh, making Alberta one of the freest jurisdictions uh, there is. Arthur C. Green is with us, a reporter with the Western Standard, westernstandard.news, as they celebrate their third anniversary today. He covers the Alberta legislature. Uh, that was uh, on Thursday. I think she was speaking before the Edmonton Cham Chamber of Commerce, during which she also talked about the next 90 days in Alberta being a little bit bumpy, I guess, as she's trying to reorganize, um, you know, how health care is delivered. And she was very hard, obviously, on the uh, the Alberta Health Services for what she said uh, she called botching the COVID-19 pandemic for not delivering, you know, extra hospital beds and so forth. Um, so... What are your thoughts on, on uh, what she needs to do over the next 90 days or what she intends to do over the next 90 days to to basically reorganize the entire governance structure for health services? That's a huge job. That is a huge, uh, huge job. But first of all, uh, I'd like to talk about uh, an interview that uh, that I a quick interview that I did yesterday. Uh, OK, start again. Take two. OK, the interview you did recently. Sorry. Sorry about that. My That's phone okay. doesn't. 
doesn't stop from politicians. So I spoke with former Newfoundland and Labrador Premier Brian Peckford yesterday. Yes. And um, for those of you who don't know, uh, Brian Peckford is the last living architect of the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms. He uh, he actually involved in its creation. And, and, you know, Peckford told me yesterday that Alberta Premier Daniel Smith uh, means what she says and that all Canadians should support her. And this is what he told me. He said, Canada's best chance for freedom and upholding Canada's constitution is Daniel Smith. And, and you know, those comments uh, from someone who actually created the Canadian uh, Charter of Rights and Freedoms uh, should ring loudly to Canadians. Uh, I, don't, I don't know what your opinion is, sir. My opinion is I would agree wholeheartedly. I think, you know, Brian Peckford, of course, uh, must have been disappointed recently when the uh, a federal court uh, decided to side with federal lawyers and um, uh, basically toss the charter challenge to the travel mandate. And um, I understand that uh, uh, Brian Peckford and the um, uh, oh and uh, Max Bernier they'll be appealing that. Uh, it's important to get some clarification on the travel mandate. The, the federal government was arguing that since it's been lifted this mandate that it's it's a moot point there's no point in in going to court over it court over it and the judge agreed so that one must have been disappointing but i i certainly applaud brian peckford um you know for standing up and speaking out i mean after all these years going public uh at this time was very important and so i i would think that that would be a valuable uh endorsement for premier smith um just getting back to this idea we just have about a minute and a half here though of um uh, this task that she's put before herself and, and, and basically revamping the whole structure of the provincial health service over the next 90 days. What are your thoughts? Um, I mean, she, she has a great team of, uh, of people behind her and, uh, you know, um, with AHS reform, it's not something that's going to be done overnight. Uh, now they did, uh, defeat uh, resolution UC members did uh, vote to um, defeat resolution six which was voted this voted on this weekend and resolution six was about uh, cutting this the sunshine list as we call it uh, in Alberta and this was just basically you know uh, reducing uh, members that make over a hundred and forty thousand dollars I mean it's gonna it's gonna take some work but uh, you know, I believe that uh, the team in Alberta are up for it. Uh, you know, Alberta, they say, open for business. And, uh, you know, our population is is increasing. And, and as the population increases, so does our tax dollars. And, and you know, they're looking to spend some money in healthcare. care. And, and I think that the uh, the next night is uh, will be the tail if they pull it off or not if they can put off and and you know reform ahs to what they're saying on paper i mean when the election comes in in 2023 that would be one of the main points um for voters because you know smith did make this one of her main campaign topics. Uh, she talked about the Alberta Sovereignty Act AHS reform. That was that was two of her main talking points that we that we've seen so many times. So you know, I, I believe that the uh, the opposition NDP uh, will will hold them accountable if they don't. Um, you know, the the NDP has has been quick to react 
um, to everything that the new premier has uh, has done in the last week or so. And just to mention that, I know you don't have much time, but like the only the only thing that bothers me, like. Alberta Premier Daniel Smith used to be a top radio host like yourself. And of course, you know, you state many opinions and you have many conversations. And and like if we spend the time, if the NDP spends its time digging through, you know, five or six years of comments made from Smith while she was a journalist, then, you know, we're not really going to get to the real issues here in Alberta because we're just going to be having, you know, a statement and then a rebuttal by the opposition, this content, you know, then a clarification, which we've already seen two right. times. Right. Well, the NDP looking for all of those gotcha moments while she was on, uh, as you say, a talk radio host. Uh, Arthur, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. I hope we'll talk again. Yeah, thank you, sir. Uh, like I said, uh, I'm a new theater in Alberta reporting the news. Uh, anyone who wants to know the truth, just visit our website, westernstandard.news. All right. Thank you so much. When we come back, we'll speak with a school trustee candidate for the Waterloo Catholic uh, District School Board, Marissa Phillips, and uh, she'll tell us what's happening down there. They, uh, they're going to have to reschedule that election. More to come. Stay with us. The Bull Session continues on The Richard Serrett Show. News Talk, Saga, 960 AM. Well, it's a municipal election day across the province, not just for mayors and city councils, but also, and most importantly, I think, school trustees for both the English and Catholic school boards. And uh, we've talked uh, at uh, length about what's happening down in uh, in Waterloo Region, particularly the English uh, district, the English uh, school board. Um, but they're having some difficulties, major difficulties with the election for Catholic school trustees in Waterloo Region. And uh, here to tell us more is one of the candidates um, who's had some who has some disappointing news. It's Marissa Phillips. Marissa, welcome. How are you? I'm good, I guess. Uh, thank you for having me. Okay, so uh, what happened in a nutshell down in Waterloo Region with the Catholic school district, uh, with the school trustee election? Uh, well, basically, uh, um, I uh, got a phone call on Saturday, just two days before the election, uh, stating that there will no longer be an election and that all the votes that came in no longer count. And, and why did they do that? What had happened? Uh, basically, uh, they notified me saying that two names were missing off the ballot. And this uh, hasn't been noticed apparently since October 6th. That's, what, that's when they printed up the ballots and they, don't, they didn't catch this mistake until two days before the election? Well, actually, the ballots were printed in the beginning of September uh, when I noticed that my name was misspelled on the ballot. Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions, and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval, and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African-Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. 
This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy. Oh, so then they had to redo it. No, the, they said they could not redo it and they didn't notice two names missing off of that ballot either. Oh, dear Lord. It, it reminds me of that old saying. You had one job. They had one job and they missed missed that up. So so there are people, though, that voted early. Um, you know, you can you can register and vote early. So what happens to all of those votes and the people that voted for you for Catholic school board? They're completely gone. And if they don't hear of the news uh, they're, they will, they won't know, they won't be able to cast their vote. That's a rather costly mistake. I would think, you know, these are not, it's not inexpensive to put on an election. Have they announced when they'll be redoing the, the election for school trustees? Uh, all they told me that it could be uh, one week, could be two weeks, could be three weeks. Uh, and meanwhile, you know, uh, school trustees are out there, you know, knocking on doors, um, taking time away from their families, maybe even their jobs. Uh, I mean, you're, you're spending money out of pocket in some cases. Uh, yeah, not a good, not a good look for the Waterloo region. Um, I, I'm, is, is anyone going to be held accountable for this mistake? Well, the, uh, the city clerk said that she's going to be investigating it, but a lot of people are calling for a third party investigation uh, because how, how can so many mistakes be made? You know, they, they misspelled my name in the ballot. Uh, they didn't notice two names missing off the ballot and uh, just two days before an election to discover this and to, and essentially throw away does. I don't know how many votes I've had hundreds of people in the street express their support for me and faith and say they've already gone out and voted. Uh, my message of keeping politics out of the classroom and emphasizing the Catholic education really resonated with people. So for, for everyone to come out and cast their vote and th- those votes be gone it's it's insane. And I'm, I'm incredibly disappointed because many people come out and vote uh, out of their hectic schedule. They come out to vote for the mayor, which is a very important position, the wards, uh, a regional councillor and, and so forth. So to expect those people to come out again, it, it's very difficult. And as a, as a mother of two, I know it's difficult just to go and vote once. So and that's if they even hear the news. So uh, it's very concerning. Um, those votes, I will never know how many people have voted for me. Um, the votes that are coming in today, my name is still on the ballot. People will be voting for me today that still don't know. Uh, there is apparently signs in some of the booths saying that uh, their count- vote will not count towards the Catholics, but some booths will not have a sign uh, from what I've heard. And uh, at the end of today, I was notified that they'll be blocking uh, spending time to scratch out or block out the Catholic vote. Um, so we will never be able to compare uh, what the vote will be pr- uh, today versus three weeks from now or whenever they decide to do the re-election. Wow, that's, uh, that's a, a huge disappointment and incredibly unprofessional. And hopefully, uh, the, you know, they'll get to the bottom of why this happened. In the meantime, when we get word when the election is going to be held for the Waterloo Region Catholic School Board, um, We'll we'll make an announcement on this program and uh, and best of luck to you, Marissa. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. All right, Marissa Phillips running for the Waterloo Region Catholic School Board. All right, when we come back, we'll talk about the state, the woeful state of the Canadian Armed Forces. That story's next. Just having a little chin wag on the Richard Serrett Show. News Talk Saga nine sixty a.m.
Well, the uh, the current state of our national defense is scandalous, really. And uh, if it were in any other country, it would be front page news. But here, barely a ripple. How bad is it? Well, we're about to find out. Richard Shimuka is a senior fellow at the McDonald Laurier Institute. He was a senior fellow at the Defense Management Studies Program at Queen's University from 2007 to 2012 and a research fellow at the Conference of Defense Associations Institute from 2012 to 2017. Richard, welcome to the program. How are you? Not bad. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. Uh, all right. So let's just uh, get into the uh, the bad news. I mean, how bad is it? Where do we start? Do we talk about procurements, the fact that, you know, our, our soldiers don't have proper sidearms? Um, where, where should we begin in this tale of woe? I think the easiest way to explain it is what the uh, the chief of defense staff announced about two weeks ago now, which is to say that they were going to put a pause on any non-essential activity in order to conserve as much manpower that they can to undertake operations. You know, uh, potential operations or current operations, like we have uh, the training of Ukrainian troops that have been going on uh, in, in Europe. Uh, we have obviously the aid to civilian power, like with uh, with the recent uh, hurricane. And they're really trying to conserve whatever they can to scrape together troops just for potential contingencies. And it's pretty bad. Uh, and it's not just with the Army. The Navy has very few ships available right now. A lot of the ships that they have are basically uh, are in uh, refit or repairs because they've been run hard for the last 20 years. And then the Air Force is, is, is as well, it's kind of sucking wind as well because they're, they're, uh, they have very old equipment. The CF-18s are basically 40 years old, uh, and they are, they need replacement and they haven't even signed the full contract in order to acquire its replacement, even though they've selected the replacement, which is the F-35s. So you mentioned Chief of the Defense Staff, General Wayne Eyre, talking about, um, I know the state of our armed forces and how, uh, we may not even be able to sustain our current commitments in the present state. Um, I mean, what are uh, beyond, you know, helping t- with the uh, the effort in Ukraine and our NATO obligations? Uh, what are our other current commitments? So it's it's a it's a number of different sort of areas. One of the big ones is is you need a contingency, and and a very good example is what's happening right now in Haiti. There's a there's a call from the United States and the Mexican government to actually uh, provide some sort of security uh, force in Haiti in order to stabilize that country. Yeah, Ganja taking over in the wake of uh, the cholera, cholera outbreak. Absolutely. And yeah. And, and Canada is often looked at one of the countries to provide troops. Why? Because we have French-speaking troops, which is quite useful in that country, right? And and we've actually provided uh, troops to Haiti in, in multiple periods. The reality is that the communities probably can't because we've got, it's called penny packeting. Like we have small groups of, you know, 200, 300, 400 forces. We have an enhanced foreign presence in, in Latvia as well. And when you start kind of parsing out forces into small little groups, it actually strains specific, uh, specific specialist capabilities like the logistics and the command and control and that makes it really difficult for the for the Canadian forces to sustain these operations because you really draw hard on some of those individuals who are tasked to do those uh, capabilities, and they sort of get tired of it. They move on, and they can't train people to take over their roles. And then you just get fewer and fewer people doing the same amount of roles. And it's called a death spiral. Actually, is 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 those people 
you just kind of run them down and you don't have the ability to actually run an operation because the few key positions just aren't filled and there aren't people to, to do those jobs. Right. Well, those kind of commitments, I think, are fine under normal circumstances if we have the personnel. What about the the core commitment, which should be to defend our shores? And let's say, for for example, uh, to uh, enforce our sovereignty in the Arctic. Um, I mean, do we have any personnel, any equipment to do that? Well, the key capability there is the Air Force, right? There's so much territory to cover. And because much of it is inhospitable for much of the year, the Air Force is really the key capability to do so. The problem is that because they delayed uh, the selection of a replacement of the CFA teams, this, uh, the CFA 18s that we have are basically at the end, they're, they're obsolete. And they, uh, a portion of them are going to be upgraded around 37 to a, a higher standard. But 37 is a very, very small number for the number of, for the amount of territory that Canada has to protect, or the Royal Canadian Air Force has to protect. And as we draw, as we replace those aircraft, those, even the 37, the whole fleet of CF 18s, it means that we may not even be able to protect parts of the North, and we're going to have to rely even more heavily on the United States to help provide for our security up there. And it, it's pretty sad. I mean, if you think about the history of the RCAF, especially in a Cold War, they, they, were, they provided a large amount of the security for North America from, uh, in the North and uh, defending against you know, potential Soviet bombers that are coming over the North Pole. Well, they can't even protect our own territory in peacetime. It's that, it's that bad. Richard, we'll take a quick time out, come back and discuss further. Richard Shimuka, senior fellow with the McDonald Laurier Institute, as we talk about the woeful state of Canada's armed forces. Back with more of our conversation right after these. Let's rejoin the conversation on The Richard Serrett Show on News Talk Saga 960 AM. Imagine being a recruitment officer for the Canadian Armed Forces and someone comes to your desk and you say, well, uh, and they want you to sell them on, you know, signing up. Well, uh, our equipment is subpar. The morale is terrible, but at least our on-base housing is short, is shoddy. Um, are they meeting their, their, their recruitment uh, quotas, Richard? No, and that's actually been one of the core problems. This, this has probably been a problem that for over a decade since the end of uh, operations in Afghanistan has has really been a really been a challenge. We had a fairly robust economy for the last decade prior to the uh, prior to COVID, and and as you say, a lot of these challenges started bubbling up in the press, and that's affected recruitment rates within the armed forces. And now we're kind of reaping the, that whirlwind is that there just isn't enough people coming in to sort of. Uh, to sustain the the what's called the authorized strength of the armed forces, and and General Air uh, touched upon that in his uh, his recent comments. I mentioned housing. Uh, talk, talk to me about the woeful state of of just providing housing for our men and women in the armed forces. There's uh, so one of the key things about the armed forces is that people move around a lot, right? They get transferred to different units, different bases, and it's pretty costly as well to transfer them. That's, that's always been an issue, but on-base housing is even worse. And is, is there something, I think around 5,000, uh, there's a wait list of 5,000 families basically for housing. And what that does, it, it then puts these troops often into the, the public market, so to speak, and our uh, sort of private market outside of the base. And, and there, they're, they're often gouged or they're forced to, uh, forced to live in housing that's substandard. And, and that just drives people, you know, nuts. It's, it's really a strain, especially when, you know, they're often forced to be deployed 
six months, eight months out of a year, they want to make sure that their families are you know, well taken care of. And if there isn't on-base housing or they're paying for higher cost housing, it really, it really just adds to the aggravation of a lot of uh, Canadian Forces members. Right. Well, you know, the federal government has $56 million to spend on an app that didn't work uh, and that nobody wanted. Uh, and yet they can't provide basic housing for some of the um, the soldiers in the Canadian Armed Forces. Now, the uh, the liberal government swore up and down that they were going to get serious about this. And they, they, you know, they presented this white paper, strong, secure and engaged. What happened, you know, to those promises, to that, to the recommendations in that white paper? I think that's probably one of the more perplexing aspects. As a white paper, strong, secure, and engaged isn't what you would expect out of most white papers, which usually identify, oh, what's our threat? Uh, how are we going to meet it? Like, what's our strategy? What are the capabilities? Because that's if you look at white papers, that's how they're supposed to be laid out. The United States, United Kingdom, France, everybody runs it through that kind of thing. Strong, secure, engaged, the first section is about personnel. So you would think, you know, after five years, that personnel would be the item that they would have been most effective at. But in, instead, it's actually been one of the worst is that a lot of CAF members are just, just they're done. They're, they're tired of it and they're, they're leaving. And especially in the, as a, in the last thing we talked about, the specialist capabilities, those people have been run into the ground. Like you talk about like radar technicians or, uh, or logisticians or communication. Those are individuals there. They've been deployed so much. They're just like, I'm out of here. And other other areas, they're they don't get to go deploy, which is a big draw for a lot of them because there's not a, the ability to sustain them in the in the in in the field. And as a result, there's also those there people aren't aren't happy with the situation. And a lot of the efforts around sexual misconduct, which have to be implemented, have been implemented well. And and individuals they feel like it doesn't address the issues, but it is not an effective way. To it's still kind of affecting their lives. And as a result, it's, it's, it's kind of a really toxic situation overall. And, and I, a lot of forces members that I've spoken to once they've retired, they don't want to be part of it anymore. They, they feel like this is, this is an organization that hasn't really met what they need, especially when they are, ta- they may be asked to sort of lay down their lives and uh, for, for the country or, you know, sacrifice part of their lives for the country, they don't feel like they're getting support that they want and, and the organization isn't fulfilling their needs. So, uh, Richard, if you were made appointed chief of the defense staff, give me three, four things that you would do to, to right the ship, as it were, of the Canadian Armed Forces. So I think part of a good portion of what the chief of defense staff has laid out, which is, you know, reconstitution, i.e. focusing on improving the lives of soldiers, not deploying them uh, in excess as they are now, and basically funding them properly and sort of getting rid of some of the red tape that really drives a lot of Canadian Forces members uh, mad. Those things are good. Like Those are the aspects of it. But they have to stick to them, and they have to ensure that it it is followed through because I think that that's, that's always been the problem. Like we've, we've heard so many times these kind of SSE or strong security engages an excellent example where they talked about it was going to deal with this, but never actually did. So that's one ensuring that we don't over deploy the troops. That's another, because there's always a temptation. Like I just talked about with Haiti, there's a temptation to send them again over and over and over again. And the Canadian forces will go and will go on and do it, even though they know it's, it's kind of tearing their force apart. And three is the funding side and 
pushing procurements through as required at the time and having the capacity to run those programs. That's the, that, that, that's one of the aspects that will build up forces or build up morale in the forces. When they have new equipment, people will come and utilize it. When they're running 40-year-old equipment that's breaking down all the time, that's, that's, a, that's a time where people just do not want to you know, show up and, 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 and continue on in the forces. And I think if you address those, all those points together, those three or four points, I think that's when you'll start to see sort of the situation right itself slowly. But you've got to stick to it. Right. And but that's always of, been the problem with the past. But in temp, terms of procurement, I mean, that that's, can be a long game. And we're still waiting for, are they still considering the F-35s? And I mean, what are our procurement needs uh, specifically with, let's just start with the Air Force. If we're going to protect our sovereignty in the Arctic, let's focus on the Air Force. How many, what, what? What jets do we, how many do we need and, and, and what, which one should we procure? Oh, we, we should buy the F-35. I think that is, that's a pretty clear, there's been multiple competitions in Canada. And every time the same answer, as politically unpalatable as maybe for the liberals who said they wouldn't buy it, that is the aircraft that should be acquired. But I mean, it is what should be a six month sort of turnaround from selection to Sunday contract is now past six months and it's probably going to be another two to three, four months before they do it. And it's those delays, those cumulative, as all those delays come together, that's what's slowing down procurement. You look at the, the, in 2017, they procured a new search and rescue aircraft. That aircraft may never serve in Canadian service because it wasn't selected properly. It was, it was partly intended to produce, uh, to have better industrial outcomes in Canada. But the aircraft is deficient. And so if you kind of look for other, if, if you don't procure the equipment that the Canadian Force require, and you look at other aspects that increase delays and increase costs and, and isn't what they need, that's a problem. And that's happened multiple times as well. So I, there's, there's a lot of issues. There. This could be a whole other program you can talk about. But procurement itself has, has kind of gone off the rails and doesn't really fulfill the needs on time and, in, and on the budget the Canadian Forces want. Well, you're right. It is a whole other program. And Richard, if you're good for it, we'll have you back on and, and, uh, and talk about this some more because it's it's uh, been neglected in, in the media and we need to pay more attention to it and we need to talk about it more. Richard Schmuka, Senior Fellow at the McDonald Laurier Institute, and you can read his uh, w- wonderful uh, article at mcdonaldlaurier.ca, mcdonaldlaurier.ca. Richard, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. All right, that's it for me. My thanks to Jody, Declan, and Jacob. I'll be back tomorrow to do it all over again, God willing. I'll speak with you tomorrow at 4. Don't be late. Until then, I remain unbowed, unbent, unbroken. That's it. That's all. For more Richard Serrett Show, podcasts, blogs, and other stuff, go to saga960am.ca. Stop talking past each other and start talking with each other. We'll see you tomorrow afternoon at 4 on The Richard Serrett Show on News Talk, Saga 960am. Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? 
President Biden's administration is making major decisions and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African-Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy.